so today we'll uh, start with first Thessalonians uh, chapter two. Uh, so we took a one week uh, break uh, in between. So we'll continue with chapter two. So uh, before we do that, we'll just take a look at a uh, few quick things that we saw in chapter one. So as we saw that Paul was writing this letter to the Thessalonian uh, believers, and he had established a church uh, during his missionary journey. And now he is uh, writing back to them. And there are a few things that we saw uh, when we did chapter one. Uh, we talked about Paul's uh, ministry, which was very rich. And it was also very uh, effective. We saw that Paul was, uh, wherever he went, uh, he always uh, preached uh, Jesus uh, in the sense that Lord Jesus Christ uh, came into this world. Uh, he died on the cross uh, and he rose again the third day and he's coming back. And that was a message that he wanted to preach, uh, especially to the Jews, because they were still waiting uh, for the Messiah. So that was always a starting point for Paul. And uh, doing that, he was able to attract uh, different people to Christ. And by doing that, he was able to plant uh, churches uh, in different areas, uh, plant congregations in different areas. And he didn't just walk away once that churches were planted uh, we see when we read the epistles that he continued to pray for the churches and he continued to hold them accountable to high uh, spiritual standards. So I feel that uh, in Paul's case, uh, he not only had a zeal uh, to take the gospel to uh, different places, but he was also very keen that those uh, that were being saved uh, were also growing uh, in the Lord. And that is why his ministry was uh, very effective and many churches were established and many people were saved and they were growing in the Lord. And so when I look at our own assemblies, I feel that is the way uh, even our assemblies have grown uh, through the work uh, that was done in the early years, uh, whether it was in Hebron or Jehovah Shammah, uh, we saw that they always went out uh, to preach the gospel uh, very faithfully uh, every Sunday and also during the week. And because of that uh, labor that they did, uh, we see that many churches have been planted uh, in India and also around the world. And we also saw that the elders, they continued to pray for the different churches uh, that were established and they continue to hold them accountable through continuous uh, monitoring. So anytime uh, any of these pieces are missing, uh, we would see that the church growth uh, will also be hindered. So. If the elders, if they're not praying for the churches, if they're not praying for the souls that have been saved, and if they're not holding them accountable to high standards, or if they're not uh, ministering to, for their spiritual growth, uh, eventually the church uh, will decline. So this is something that we can learn from Paul, that we have to preach, uh, we have to plan, we have to pray, and we also have to check. And of course, God has given uh, gifts uh, within the local church, uh, Different people have different gifts, and we need to know what role we have to play uh, so that the church uh, is not only started, but it is sustained uh, for according to God's plan. And we also saw the fourfold uh, aspect of an effective uh, gospel work. And we see that the evangelist, uh, he preaches the word, and the sinner uh, hears and receives the word. And it is the word of God that brings a conviction uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives the assurance uh, to the sinner, uh, no matter how sinful their past could have been, uh, the Holy Spirit gives them the conviction that all of their sins are forgiven. So we see that uh, if you see this as four steps, uh, we can see that our role is uh, only in step one. We simply have to preach the word and if we truly believe in the word of God, and if we preach it according to God's will and through his power, uh, we would see that the word will do the work and the sinners would be saved and they would have that assurance of sins forgiven. So uh, it is not our job to convict people of their sins. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit that convicts uh, people of their sins and brings them to the Lord. And we concluded with uh, verse 9 and 10, uh, where Paul talked about the transformed life. And he talked about three things, uh, turning uh, to God from idols, which speaks about the past uh, salvation experience, uh, where you are turning to God from 
your old life, which is secondly, once you're saved, uh, there is a calling on each one of our lives uh, to serve the living God. And Paul talks about the labor of love or the fruit of faith, uh, which has to continue till we die. And even as we are living in this world, Paul talks about the third thing, uh, which is to waiting uh, for his return, uh, which is the patience of hope. So all these things uh, should be uh, found in any believer. Uh, they should be able to point to a time when they turn to God from idols. And when we look at their life uh, in the present, uh, we should see a life that is committed to serving the living God. And also uh, they should be looking at a future that continues all the way to eternity, uh, where they are looking forward to the return of the Lord and to spend eternity in his presence. So that's a quick uh, summary of some of the key things uh, that we considered in chapter one. So today uh, we'll continue with chapter two, uh, which is uh, a beautiful chapter which speaks about Paul's uh, ministry, uh, talks about some aspects uh, of his ministry, and we can see why Paul was uh, could be seen as a model uh, minister or even as a model evangelist, or a model servant of God. So depending on how much time we have, we'll go through the entire chapter or we'll consider the first couple of sections. So maybe uh, someone can read uh, verses one through nine, then we'll uh, go discuss. You know, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> that a visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who test our hearts, you know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have arrested, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like your children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Yeah, so when we read these uh, verses, we can pick up some uh, aspects of Paul's uh, ministry, his character, and why we can see him uh, as a model minister and something that we can also follow uh, in our own uh, ministry. So, uh, so we see that Paul could say with uh, confidence that his ministry was not in vain. So we'll talk about that. And what was the source uh, of Paul's uh, confidence and, and what are some aspects of Paul's ministry that are truly uh, commendable? Okay, so we saw last week that uh, Paul uh, did ministry in Thessalonica for a few weeks. And during that time, he faced uh, persecution from the Jews. And at some point, uh, he decided to flee uh, in the night. So based on all of these, uh, that he's facing persecution, uh, he's not able to continue the work, and that he actually has to run away uh, from that place, would we say that his uh, trip was a failed trip? or a failed mission trip? Why or why not? It's, it was not a failure because yes. uh, people have turned uh, to God from idol worship. Yes. And he claims, of course, it was, his ministry was not in vain yes. because it touched the hearts of many people. Yeah. Yeah, so his trip was not a failed trip, uh, even though some people may think or that may be, have been the understanding that Paul simply ran away uh, after a few weeks. And, and during the first verse itself, uh, he tries to say that uh, his ministry uh, was not in vain. 
So we can say that his ministry was fruitful despite the very short time that he spent and despite the persecution that he faced, uh, not only physical, but also uh, accusations, which could be seen as a mental uh, persecution. But Paul begins by saying that uh, his ministry was not in vain, uh, even though he suffered much and he was shamefully treated. And uh, he was coming from Philippi, which is where he was put in jail. And despite that uh, suffering that he faced, uh, we see that he came to Thessalonica and he continued the work uh, with much uh, boldness and he preached uh, the same gospel, even though it was the same gospel that got him into trouble uh, in Philippi and also in Thessalonica. So what we can learn is that uh, just because we are facing persecution or just because we are facing challenges uh, in the ministry, or in the gospel work, uh, it does not mean that uh, it is a failed uh, ministry. And just because Paul is uh, running away from that place uh, does not mean that he was a coward or he was a failure. We know that Paul was a servant of God and he must have definitely prayed uh, before making that decision. And God would have guided him that at this point, uh, it is better for him to leave uh, rather than to continue in that place. So, so to an outsider, it may seem like uh, it was a failed ministry or he was being a coward. But uh, if you're walking with the Lord, we know that the, the Lord will also guide us and give us the wisdom uh, when we should continue to fight and when we should simply uh, run away. And as we follow Paul's life, uh, we see that uh, he's not really running away uh, in the sense that he is afraid because he continues with the same uh, gospel of God uh, wherever he goes. And as we follow his life, even as we saw in the book of Acts, uh, he continues to preach uh, despite the many dangers, uh, despite many of the sufferings uh, that he faced. And we see that in the uh, book of Acts. Maybe we can read some of these verses. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 12 and 22 to 24. It's in verse, he's making a reference that uh, before he came to Thessalonica, uh, he was at Philippi. And when we went to the book of Acts, uh, we saw that in Acts chapter 16. Yeah, maybe to, just to refresh our memories, uh, verse 16 and also 22 to 24. Uh, 16 and verse 12. Yes. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city, that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates, magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet on these stocks. Yeah. Okay, so we've gone through this passage before, so we don't need to repeat more, just to show that uh, before coming to Thessalonica, uh, Paul faced uh, the same uh, kind of situation for the same kind of work uh, that he was doing. And we know that he spent some time uh, in the jail and the Lord rescued him uh, from the jail. And we also know that through that uh, experience, uh, the jailer was saved. But when he left uh, Philippi, we see that Paul is not afraid. Uh, he continues to do the same kind of work. Uh, he continues to preach the gospel and he faces the same uh, consequence. And again, he is pushed out of uh, Thessalonica and from there he goes to Berea. And from there, again, he faces uh, persecution. So from there he goes to Athens. So we see that we cannot say that Paul is a uh, coward or he's simply running away for his life. Uh, he's continuing to do the Lord's work, but he is guided by the Lord in terms of when he should fight and continue and when he should leave. So, so the fruit, as uncle said, uh, is that uh, even though he spent uh, only a short time uh, in Thessalonica, uh, sinners were saved and the church was formed and the believers uh, were continuing to stand strong uh, in the faith, uh, as he makes reference in subsequent verses, that the believers are actually maturing in the Lord uh, based on the teaching that Paul had already given them uh, during the short time that he was there. Okay, so it kind of reinforces what Paul begins with uh, to say that 
uh, his ministry uh, was not in vain. So the quality of our ministry uh, does not depend on how much time we spend. Uh, it really depends on how closely aligned uh, we are with God's will. And whether we are doing the ministry in the power of God or we are simply doing it with our own power and whether we are doing it for our own glory and not really concerned about God. So, so the same thing is true for us. Uh, when we look at our own life, uh, we should be able to say that our life and our ministry is not in vain. Because if the Lord has saved us, uh, he has saved us uh, with a purpose. And that is what we read in John 15 and 16, that he has chosen us uh, so that we may bring forth fruit and that fruit should remain. So it's not just a one-time thing. Uh, Lord's desire is that uh, the fruit that we bring uh, should be a profitable fruit uh, that continues to sustain itself and yields uh, even more fruit uh, in the days to come. So that was Paul's burden, uh, even in writing the letter to the church. Uh, he wanted to make sure that the work uh, he had done there during the few weeks uh, is a work that will continue to grow and sustain itself. So we read through these verses, uh, which give us some highlights uh, about Paul's uh, ministries, uh, some of the attributes that we see uh, about Paul. So what are some things that we see here about Paul's ministry or his character, which is uh, outstanding or which is something that we can also uh, follow or practice? So what are some things that kind of stand out? in his ministry, in verse three to nine. Okay, so anyone or? Fourth verse is yes. uh, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Yeah, so that's a good one, right? So Paul's desire was uh, never to please men. Uh, no. It was always uh, to please God. So he is a servant of God. He is commissioned by God to work for the Lord. So he's not, he's not really working to please men, but to please mm -hmm. God. So that's a very important uh, principle, uh, even for us uh, to follow in our ministry. Yes. So he always puts God first. So yeah. not yeah. his deeds or not his ways. Yeah. So he, this is the first, like always, like whenever he teaches, like it is not by his uh, will or something. So it is always yeah. God. So. Yeah. Yeah, so God is always the highest uh, priority. So whatever God tells him to speak, that's what he's going to share. So he's not going to share what is on his mind or what is the hot topic for that week or for that day. Uh, he is led by the Lord. Anything else that uh, stands out? Here? There is no covetousness or there is no desire to gain any uh, self-gain there. Yes. As some people would uh, want to use that to for self, uh, selfish purposes. But here it says there was no covetousness, yeah. no plan words. He spoke just. Yeah. As so his, his motive was very clear, right? So we find that yeah. today many churches and many pastors, uh, they are using the God of word, uh, word of God uh, to profit themselves or they are using it as a profession to gain money. So in that sense, they would preach uh, what is pleasing to the congregation so that they would continue to support them. They would continue to give them money. So Paul has no hidden agenda. Uh, mm -hmm. He's simply going to preach what the Lord is going to tell them to preach. And he doesn't care whether people are giving him money or gifts. He's not here to build his kingdom or to build his church. Uh, he is here to build the kingdom of God. So we see a lot of contradictions with what we observe uh, in today's uh, society. Many uh, churches are among many pastors who care more about the glory that will come back to them or who care more about pleasing uh, people rather than pleasing themselves. Uh, anything else that comes here? Was Paul a hardworking person or a lazy person? Hardworking <laughs> person. He's very hardworking, right? So, yeah. so you see that he, uh, he was, uh, in other sections of the scriptures, it also says that he was a tent maker. And here it says he labored night and day. So uh, he not only labored uh, to support himself, but he also labored in the word of God. And he labored in the time that he would spend with the Lord. 
so that he can be a profitable vessel. So he didn't want to be a burden on the church or a burden on the assembly. Uh, he simply wanted to do the work with no uh, selfish motive. So there are many things that we pick up, uh, which is, and so we'll just go through that. Okay, so we see that uh, Paul is uh, commissioned by God to speak. Uh, he's not appointed by the Pope or by any church or by any institution. Uh, he's very clear that it is the Lord who has given him that gift of speaking and who has given him that commission or that calling to speak. So that's very important. Yeah. And as we said, he has no deceit, uh, no ulterior motive or guile. And we talked about this and there is no flattery or covetousness. Maybe we can read 2 Corinthians uh, 2.17. <laughs> Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Yeah. Okay, so that's a very uh, powerful verse there. Paul is testifying that uh, we speak uh, sincerely and we don't uh, corrupt uh, the word of God and we simply speak what is given to us. And he goes on to say in verse 7 that uh, he uh, treats the congregation with uh, gentleness. Uh, in NIV, it says uh, nursing mother. Uh, in King James, it simply says uh, with gentleness, uh, like a nurse. Nurse. So you would see that uh, in the life of uh, Joanna, who's very young. And we can see that uh, sister and brother, they will treat her with much uh, gentleness. And here Paul says that is uh, one of the quality that he brings uh, to the church. So gentleness in verse seven. Yeah. So what is what makes the mother very unique, a nursing mother? What, is, what do they get paid for all the work they do from morning till night? They don't get anything, right? But still they exercise much love uh, toward the baby, which is helpless at that point. So Paul, uh, we see that in his uh, missionary journey, he is establishing many churches and many of them are very young churches. So they may not know uh, everything that, uh, that needs to be known. So he's treating them with gentleness, like you would treat a baby, which is ignorant and which may not know the complete uh, truth. And he's not expecting anything back. Uh, he simply wants to serve them. He wants to nurture them uh, so that uh, even as it is, uh, feeding them with milk in the initial stages and later on feeding them with meat. So Paul is taking on both the roles. Uh, he knows how to minister to different people uh, when they are young. He knows that they need milk. And when they grow up, they need meat. And verse 8 also talks about his uh, sacrificial quality, where he says uh, he not only uh, offered the gospel, but he also offered himself. And we also see that he worked uh, so to support his work. And uh, he continued his ministry, trusting that God will take care of his needs. And we know from the epistles that many local churches, they supported the ministry of Paul, but Paul never uh, expected that. Uh, it simply came to him, but he also worked hard to continue his ministry. We'll just read one more verse from Acts 20, 32 and 33. Okay, so we did all of this two years back. It's possible we might have forgotten this. Now I commit you to God unto the word of his grace, which can build up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't covet anyone. He simply worked. So, so just like a summary, we see that the message that Paul gave was uh, undiluted, or he simply gave the message uh, given to him by the Lord. Uh, he had no selfish motive. And we see that uh, he did it in the love that he had for the people, uh, whether they were young in Christ or whether they were mature believers. 
And at the end, uh, he gave all the glory uh, to the Lord. So he was not seeking uh, any recognition from anyone. So we need to ask ourselves, uh, no matter what uh, ministry we are doing, uh, what is uh, our motive? Are we doing it out of love uh, for the Lord and for others? Or do we have uh, any other selfish motive or any other gain that we hope to get by doing that ministry? So is it easier to please God or to please men? Please God. God. Please God. So please God, has, God is very compassionate and he also has very set uh, standards. But when we try to please uh, people, they would change their mind uh, often. And it is like chasing something that is always going to move. But God is uh, merciful and he looks at our heart. And if we are sincere in our motive, uh, God sees that. And of course, we need to give the message that the Lord gives us. We should not dilute uh, the gospel. Uh, we should not dilute what is in the Bible. And we saw that also in the book of Acts that when the gospel is given, it should be the full gospel. It should not be half gospel or adulterated gospel message. And when we are faced with uh, opposition, uh, one thing we learn is that uh, at times, uh, it may be good to simply walk away and move to the next place where the Lord might have opened a ministry. Uh, we don't have to keep fighting and keep dying in the field. Uh, we see that Paul faced uh, opposition in Philippi. He went from there to Thessalonica. From there, he went to Berea. From there, he went to Athens. But God had uh, already prepared that place. Wherever he went, uh, he was very fruitful. Uh, had he simply continued, uh, stayed in one place, uh, it's quite possible that he might have gotten killed and his work yeah. would have been reduced. So... So I see the secret of Paul's uh, success when we read this passage that Paul was a great uh, evangelist. And one of the reasons was uh, he was chosen by God. And more than that, he says he was enabled by God or he was equipped by God to deliver the message. And he did it uh, for the glory of God. So when we look at some great uh, evangelists, like uh, it could be Billy Graham or Brother Buxing or any others that you can think of, uh, when we look at their life, we can see that they are clearly uh, chosen by God and they are also equipped by God to deliver that message. And we see that they don't have any uh, selfish motive. Uh, they are simply living for the Lord. Uh, they are simply living uh, for God's glory. And when we look at their life, we also see that they have a character which is uh, blameless. Uh, they may not be perfect, but uh, they have a character which is uh, commendable in many ways. And that is why Paul says, uh, follow me, uh, even as I follow the Lord. And we also see in Paul's life that he has a genuine love for the lost. Uh, he doesn't say that I have saved uh, 50 souls here, so let me go on and keep saving people as I keep going on. But we see that uh, as he travels in his missionary journey, uh, he also constantly inquires about the people that he has saved uh, to make sure that they are standing strong in the faith and they are continuing to grow in the Lord. And ultimately we see that Paul is uh, willing to suffer and he is willing to die for Christ. So these are uh, some qualities we see in Paul and these are some qualities uh, we would see uh, in any great uh, evangelist or any great uh, missionary that we can think of. Uh, they would uh, tend to have these qualities. So again, the challenge for us uh, is again the same. Uh, we keep praying that we should uh, be faithful to the Great uh, Commission. So we need to look at our lives and see whether we see these qualities in us, uh, whether we truly have a love for the lost, and what is the price uh, that we are willing to pay uh, in order to fulfill the Great Commission. So if you're not willing to pay the price, uh, then uh, it is quite possible that we also will not see the fruit. So like any other farmer, if the farmer doesn't work, then he's not gonna reap the harvest. Uh, in the same way, if we are not willing to work and make the sacrifice, we also will not see the fruit like Paul saw. So we, uh, from this passage, we also see that uh, 
no matter what our ministry is, uh, we need to be sure of our calling. And we also need to be sure of the uh, enabling or what we can say, equipping. And that is why Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, 11, 12, uh, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was uh, committed uh, to my trust. So here it's uh, telling us that it was clearly given to him. The Lord uh, trusted Paul to carry that message forward. And the Lord had that confidence that he could call Paul for that ministry. Just like God called Moses uh, to lead the people of Israel, uh, there was a clear calling uh, in their life. But Moses was not perfect. And we also know that Paul was not perfect. So that is why he gives all glory to the Lord. He says, I thank Christ Jesus who has enabled me. So he's the one who has given him the spirit and the enabling so that uh, he can do the work that needs to be done uh, for that ministry. So all of us need to come to that point where we can also say that the Lord has given me uh, this ministry. He has trusted me to do this work. And not only that, uh, he has also equipped me so that uh, I can do the work that he has asked me to do. And as you said before, uh, in ministry, uh, we should always uh, please God and not people. So that may not be easy always, uh, but that's a standard that we should desire, or that should be our prayer, that we should remain uh, faithful to God, and he should be the first priority. So in Galatians uh, 1, 10, uh, Paul says, uh, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So we cannot please uh, people and God at the same time. Uh, if you're not pleasing God, then Paul is saying, I cannot be a servant of Christ. So Paul had a very high standard uh, in the way he conducted his ministry. And that is why at the end of his life, he could say that, uh, I have run the race, uh, I have kept the faith. And that should be also our testimony at the end, that we can say that we run the, ran the race that the Lord kept for us, and we were faithful till the end. Yeah, someone can read uh, 10 through 12. Your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless be way among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each other each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Yeah. So what could people say about Paul's life? Because Paul was always interacting with people, sometimes with strangers, uh, sometimes with people that he knew well, who were close to him, like Timothy and so on. So what could they say about his life? Unblameable. Unblameable, yes. Mm. He was hope. Yeah. They could say, see that his life was uh, very clear, very pure, and very much uh, committed uh, to the Lord. And earlier, Paul makes a reference uh, to being like a nurse, uh, nursing mother or mm. taking care of them in a delicate fashion. Mm. And here he takes on the other role, which is uh, like a fatherly role. And so we'll just consider that. Okay. okay, so those who looked at Paul, they could say that his life was holy, uh, it was just, and it was uh, unblameable. So that's again a very high standard. Uh, we might be looking at our life and we might think that we are holy, we are good, and so on. But it is the people who live with us or people who interact with us uh, it is they who can see, and what is it that they say about us? Uh, would they also be able to say that we are holy, we are just, and we are blameless? And in verse 7, we saw nursing mother, and in verse 11, he says, uh, uh, as a father that is children. So he talks about a father's role uh, to exhort, uh, to comfort, uh, and to challenge. So that is uh, pretty much the role of any uh, leader or anyone who's in the ministry. Uh, they should be able to exhort uh, from the word of God. And again, we use the word of God to comfort others. And at the same time, 
We are also using the word of God to hold others accountable or to challenge them in their walk with God. And that is what Paul is doing in the first and second Thessalonians. Uh, he's not only exhorting them with the word of God, but also comforting them and challenging them. And this message uh, that we find as a theme in the book of Thessalonians is that believers uh, should walk worthy of God and his heavenly calling. So that is our goal in life. Uh, once we are born again, uh, we should live a life that is worthy of God and we should be faithful to his calling uh, in our life. So all of us are not called uh, to be Paul. All of us are not called to be uh, certain things. So that's why uh, we need to be sure of our calling and we need to walk worthy of God in a way that is pleasing to him. So Paul was uh, effective as he not only practiced, uh, he, pre he practiced what he preached and uh, so he could tell others uh, to be like him. So the question for us, uh, again, as to say, we can ask ourselves, how is uh, our testimony and how is our walk? <coughs> so can we also say that our testimony is blameless? And can we also say that we are walking worthy of God and his heavenly calling? And we'll just read verse 13 also and then close. Okay. Yeah. Maybe someone can read verse 13. Yeah. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it is actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Yeah. So oftentimes in Paul's uh, epistles, we see that he is thanking God for the people. And here again, he is doing the same. Uh, here it says uh, he is uh, giving thanks uh, ceaselessly or continuously for the work uh, that has been done. And here he identifies because they received the word of God uh, as the truth, not as the word of men. So they believed that the word that was being given or the word that Paul was uh, preaching them through exhortation or through challenging them or ministering to them. Uh, they received it as a word, which is a very precious word uh, that is coming from God himself. And when we look uh, at our own life, uh, we see that the word of God uh, is a living word and it works in those who believe and apply. So when we go to different homes, we may see that many people may have Bibles uh, lying around. Uh, they might have 10, 15, 20 Bibles in their house. But if they don't really believe in the word of God, uh, it's not going to do anything for them, right? So word of God is not like a fridge. If you put on the switch and put something inside, it will become cold. Uh, we need to believe and we need to practice the word of God. That is when it will start working in our life. So Paul was very happy that they received the word of God as a truth, uh, just like he was pleased with the Berean church. They not only heard, but they went back to check whether Paul was actually uh, preaching the word of God, whether he was true to the truth. Uh, one thing I want yes. to say, sometimes yes. it's a challenge for every believer. Yes. Some people may think uh, this high standard is uh, not meant for me. I'm not yes. called a no, but it is really for every believer. Yes. This is really meant for it. So, you know, this is what uh, we have to understand. Yeah. That's and we think it's only for those who are specially called. God has called us to not to, you know, as a uh, half uh, believer, but a true believer. Yes. He's given one of us. Mm -hmm. The standard is for all believers. Yes. And all of us have been redeemed with the same blood. And so, yeah. Yes. So we all have to strive for the same high standard and that should be our heart's desire, right? And the Lord will honor that. Yeah. That is the challenge. Yeah, that is the challenge. I'm sure it was a challenge for Paul too, but he remained yeah. faithful, yes. Because when he went to the Athens, uh, he writes that there was a lot of uh, sin there, right? Because there's a lot of uh, surround idolatry and so on. Mm. 
Anything else? In verse uh, 14 through 18, Paul talks a little bit about suffering, but he also covers that in chapter 3, so we'll get into that. Uh, maybe we can read uh, 14 through 18. Are you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drew us out they displease God and are hostile to everyone. In the effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, in this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But yes. brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Saturn blocked our way. Yeah. Okay, so here Paul talks about some of his uh, concerns uh, with the Jews, not really concerns, but more like uh, how he was treated by the Jews and how the believers uh, continue to be persecuted uh, by Jews. And of course, uh, we should not be surprised because the Bible says clearly that uh, all of us will suffer uh, when we uh, follow the Lord. Uh, the persecution might be different. The opposition might be different. But if you are truly uh, serving the Lord, we will see opposition coming uh, in different ways. And here Paul talks about uh, not being able to return uh, because uh, he was hindered uh, by Satan. So Paul speaks about uh, the Jewish people killing the Jews, killing prophets, uh, persecuting evangelists like him, and forbidding uh, the preaching of gospel to the Gentiles, or bringing the Gentiles uh, to the faith, or bringing uh, equal status to Gentiles uh, along with the Jews. So Jews did not like that, so they continued to persecute Paul and everyone else uh, who preached the gospel. And... And he mentions that uh, everyone suffers, uh, just like uh, Lord Jesus Christ, he suffered, the disciples, the Paul, prophets, the believers uh, in Thessalonica also suffered. And he says in verse 16, that for their rejection of Christ and for the persecution of saints, uh, God's wrath will be upon them. So that is the uh, judgment among those uh, who choose to reject Christ. Uh, they will face uh, the wrath of God, uh, not only in this lifetime, but also for the eternal and final judgment. And Paul, uh, as we saw last week, uh, he really wanted to go back uh, to Thessalonica church uh, to meet uh, with the believers. Uh, but he writes that in verse 18, that Satan uh, hindered that visit or Satan mm -hmm. hindered him from going back. So we can, in this case, we can picture Satan as the continued hostility that he faced uh, from the Jews or the danger that he faced uh, from the Jews. So he was not able to go back, uh, even though he wanted to do the Lord's work. And as we have seen earlier in the book of Acts, uh, there might be times when the Lord himself uh, hinders or he changes the course of our ministry uh, for example, in Acts 16, 16, uh, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit uh, to preach the word of God uh, in Asia. And in Acts chapter 8, we saw that uh, even though Philip was doing good work uh, in Samaria, the Lord told him to leave that ministry and go to minister to the eunuch. So, so the Lord himself might change the plans, uh, even though we might be doing the Lord's work, the Lord may have a different plan and a different purpose uh, for the time. Uh, so that's why we need to be sensitive uh, to the Lord's voice uh, in terms of what he wants us to do. So how do we know who is hindering our progress or expansion? Is it Satan or God telling us not to do certain things? If you are obedient to God, we will know whether it is uh, Lord's uh, Direction or not? Yeah. Number one. Yeah. And secondly, just I wanted to share that. Secondly, just as the Jewish people, yeah, then all the opposition is coming because 
Jewish people considered themselves a very separated, special yeah. people of God, mm -hmm. looked down upon everybody else. The same thing happens in India and other places, yeah. the racial problems and all that. People, one people think they are superior than others. Yeah. They don't want the to be. Yeah. yeah. The caste is console. Yeah, even within the same church, there might be people who think they are more spiritual, more righteous, and so on. Yeah. So there could be that kind of hostility also. Yeah, yeah. but uh, as uncle said, if you're close to the Lord, if you're sensitive to the Lord's voice, uh, you would know when to leave, when to stay, and so on, because it is the Lord who will lead us and guide us. And we will hear that voice uh, telling us uh, where to go and when to go. And of course, we always talk about Brother Bakshi. So uh, he gives many examples of how the Lord leads, led him and guided him uh, in his ministry. And we see the evidence uh, in the fruit of his ministry. That, so that is the true evidence. When the Lord is leading us, uh, it will lead to us a definite end and a definite blessing and a definite fruit. And that is what we saw in the life of Philip when he went from Samaria to meet the unit. Uh, there was a definite purpose and there was a definite blessing that took place because he was willing to take that diversion. Yeah. Uh, but even if the Satan hinders, we know that God is uh, still in control. So even though Paul could not go back to Thessalonica, uh, we see that he's able to write that letter and send it through uh, Timothy. And today we are reading that letter. So it is a blessing for us uh, to see how Paul has captured his thoughts and also for us to learn uh, how much concern he had uh, for the church uh, that he established. And of course, later on uh, in the Lord's time, Paul is able to go back and visit the church uh, during his final visit as we read in Acts 20. So we have five minutes, so maybe we can just wrap up this chapter. Uh, yeah, someone can read 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Yeah. Okay, so that is a great uh, compliment that Paul gives uh, to the Thessalonica church. And of course, uh, they were believers whom he brought to the Lord. So they were souls uh, that were won by Paul. And Paul uh, keeps them in a very high regard. And he says, uh, you are our glory and you are our joy. So he really had a special love for that church. He had a special love for the souls uh, that he had saved. And he not only is talking about going back and meeting them, but he's also talking about the eternal fellowship that he will enjoy with these souls and with these uh, believers. So that is the kind of joy and that is the kind of uh, fellowship uh, that we should have uh, in the local church also, where we, say, where we can say that uh, all brothers and sisters are our glory and our joy, that we enjoy meeting with them on Sundays, but we are also looking forward to spending uh, eternity with them uh, in the presence of the Lord. So that would be a great church uh, to go to where people really think they love each other, that we can say, you are our glory and you are our joy. And that is the crown of uh, rejoicing that Paul is talking about, which is uh, given to soul uh, winners. And I think we can stop here. And this you can read on your own. There are uh, we read about five different crowns uh, in the scriptures, the crown of rejoicing, which is given to soul winners. And there is the imperishable crown, which is given to everyone who completes the race. And there is the crown of righteousness, uh, which is given to those who are waiting for the second coming or looking forward to the second uh, coming of Christ. And there's a crown of glory that is given to church leaders and shepherds. And there is a crown of life, uh, which is given to those who endure trials and persecution. So how many crowns do you think Paul got? <laughs> I think he qualifies for all five of them, right? So yeah. he was a soul winner. He completed the race. 
Yeah. He was always talking about second coming, so that showed he has yeah. lost. Winners, soul winners. Yeah. He was also a shepherd, and he also endured many trials and persecutions. I think this would be a good place to stop, and we all can strive for five crowns. So. <laughs> I may just add before we close that nobody yeah, said yeah. a question. Sure, sure. What is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Yes. See, one, I think that you know, the only way when we really understand the great value of our own salvation, yeah. that then only we will be able to really rejoice in the Lord because we know what was our condition, what was our, you know, where, what was our destiny, how the Lord has changed how the Lord has been with us. When yeah. we know that personally, then only we will be able to rejoice in the salvation of others. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it is not just a, a matter of a, a, a number, but you know, it's a person. We yeah. ourselves have seen what a great blessing it is to know the Lord and to have that assurance of salvation. You know, so then only we understand the great value we understand the great love of God. Unless we have really experienced that, we will not be really faithful in giving out the gospel and will not be really very fruitful also because, you know, we really have to be, you know, know that what we are doing, we are asked to be a witness or witness itself. Our own experience has to be a witness of what God has done in our life and what transformation has happened. And so we can, when we see that happening in others, we rejoice. And the first thing we see, how we rejoice in our children when they accept the Lord. You know, we rejoice, we know because they are very precious for us. So it yeah. is also that, you know, every believer, everyone, whether he's a believer or not, then becomes precious to us because we, God's word reminds us that we have been made in his image. So we'll be able to love others, really respect others also, whatever be their uh, uh, condition, whatever be their status, doesn't matter. They are still the children of God gone. They are lost and we know the way. So we rejoice in showing them this is what hap is when we know really when we accept the Lord, how the Lord has blessed us so abundantly. And these are blessings are free and we have no and undeserving, unworthy though we bear, yet the Lord has blessed us and we enjoy the assurance, we enjoy his presence, we enjoy, you know, his uh, blessings, his protection, his provision in our, in our life. So then uh, our giving the gospel becomes very real and a rejoicing for us also in spite of persecution, in spite of rejection, that will be always there because Satan will always hinder us. That is true. Yeah. yeah. So that is very true. The zeal with which we uh, witness also depends on the extent to which the Lord has already worked in our heart and how much we love the Lord and others. Yeah.